Thank you for listening in right now. Glad to have you here. My name is Nyla, and this is Greener Thoughts. I help you understand the environment today so you can experience a greener life. Let's connect online. You can reach Greener Thoughts by voice message. The anchor.fm link is in each episode's show notes. You can do so via the Anchor app or by email at greenerthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. The second Greener Thoughts Anniversary Celebration Prize Giveaway Retroactive Edition is here. It will last throughout the retroactive November month, and I will leave details about that in each episode description so that you don't get confused about uh, when to enter or how to enter. So to enter the giveaway, just answer the following questions. There's only three. The first is, what is your favorite episode of Greener Thoughts thus far and why? Number two is, what is the dried snack company I discussed in podcast episode 146, top 20 foods you can freeze? And number three, what are the three episodes I've done that focus on composting? Hint, it's in the titles. Some of the prizes include uh, three different prizes for the first, second, and third prize winners. First prize is a four-pack of Burt's Breeze Lip Balm in Superfruit. Number two prize is the Pop Sockets Burt's Bees Lip Balm Compact Refill, and it is also a phone grip and stand. And then number three is the Pop Sockets Refillable a Pop Grip Lips uh, that is a phone grip and a stand and again these prizes are for the first second and third prize winners be sure to email your answers to greenerthoughtspodcast at gmail.com or you can do so by voice message you can go to anchor.fm forward slash greenerthoughtspodcast and check out how to send a voice message through there or follow the link that is the third lower link in each episode's show notes Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. There are just a few environmental announcements in the holidays that I just want to go over, and then we'll continue on with the program. So one of the first uh, November eco or environmental holidays is National Camp Day. So for all those who love camping, maybe go outside many times throughout the year and love camping each and every time, this is your day to celebrate. It is on November the 19th, so be sure to mark your calendars. Also, the second environmental holiday after that is Universal Children's Day. This is celebrating children all over the world and it's celebrated on November the 20th. And then next is November the 21st, uh, where World Fisheries Day is celebrated. Headlines from the Hemispheres is our next segment up, and it's where I talk about all types of environmental news all across our wonderful planet. And there are a few different headlines from different countries, the first of uh, being from Canada. 
researcher studying microplastics in surface water. So Environmental News Network had this amazing um, you know, description and plans for this one researcher out of the University of Saskatchewan. And his name is Dr. Marcus Brinkman. He's a PhD researcher and he is really determined to find out what kinds of microplastics are on the surface waters around in Canada where he is taking upon his research. Well, he did uh, talk about and do research into a number of different uh, water quality projects that he's been working on and he's partnered up with the South Saskatchewan River Watershed Stewards, which is a non-governmental organization, NGO, that's focused on educating people about water quality, the impact of their actions on the environment, and so on. And also he's worked with the city of uh, Saskatoon and has determined the levels of microplastics around uh, the different local uh, river systems. And so that new project has really allowed the city of uh, Saskatoon, um, sorry if I'm mispronouncing it, um, to make any adjustments uh, regarding uh, watershed stewardship and trying to educate the public about uh, how harmful microplastics are. So according to Dr. Brinkman, uh, definitely uh, you have to be aware of things like synthetic fibers. This is really important. Um, even smaller uh, debris particles, these are at risk um, to the health of many different animals. They can clog their systems, tear their internal organs, or even rupture uh, something like their intestinal uh, tracts. Microplastics and microbeads especially are really, really harmful. I've even done podcast episodes about them. They are so toxic. Um, but far and few between are few studies about their impact on us humans and how um, even in our food supply, they can harm us, but there aren't, there isn't a lot of data and research out there to uh, talk about and highlight the risks associated with them. But hopefully, Dr. Brinkman's research will be able to change that. Uh, at uh, the point of sampling, he has uh, limited his research sampling to water from the South uh, Saskatchewan River and storm ponds within Saskatoon. And in the future, though, uh, Dr. Brinkman plans to also sample mussels and other types of fish to understand the impacts of microplastics on those groups uh, where uh, his research is uh, being done. And next is some information from the Amazon and the millions of hectares that are at risk. Amazon Road building could deforest millions of hectares, according to a report. And Reuters has more information on this. And our story pinpoints in Colombia. We all know that Brazil is home to one of the, the hugest percentage uh uh, hectares and uh, land equivalent um, of the uh, Amazon rainforest. But other countries alongside and neighboring Brazil are just at risk, uh, if not greater in some parts. So regarding the Amazon, different road projects will drive deforestation uh, in the next uh, 20 years in the millions of hectares, according to a report by Climate Focus. 
the construction or upgrading uh, of different Amazon roads in places like Bolivia, Brazil, Colombia, Peru, and Ecuador over the next uh, five years, uh, they're trying to construct at least uh, almost 7,500 miles of new roads could lead to 2.4 million hectares or 5.9 million acres of deforestation in the next two decades or 20 years after this, according to the report on the progress uh, of the forests. And the uh, there was a pledge that was adopted by uh, different governments, corporations, and other groups too at the United Nations Climate Summit back in September 2014, which seems like a long time ago. But their aim there was to cut in half the deforestation by the year 2020. And, you know, at this point, it hasn't even been met um, you know, the the report really touched on that. And they said uh, that they did want to end deforestation by 2030, but uh, it will need, uh, we will need, um, quote, an unprecedented reduction, end quote, in annual forest loss rates. Infrastructure, though, uh, currently is thought to be responsible for about 9% to 17% of deforestation in tropical and subtropical countries. And there is also the indirect toll as well to uh, be aware of. And then lastly is a headline uh, from positive.news. What went right this week? Post-car cities, vaccine hope, and more positive news. Again, this is from positive.news. It is an online magazine. It also has the uh, different articles online, and you can also get the paper versions as well. So this is out of the UK, and there were different headlines to cover, um, but I did highlight in particular one about the UK government and net zero emissions. So regarding the UK uh, government, there was an advisor um, to the UK government that was talking about how cheap um, and accessible uh, and how it could be possible to achieve net zero emissions. Um, and, and it's more likely uh, to be you know cheaper than previously thought. Uh, it did take into account the falling costs of renewables and also uh, such technologies like electric vehicles. And the chief executive of the Committee on Climate Change, Chris Stark, did predict that it would be cheaper than 2% of the UK's GDP. Uh, of, of that, uh, the UK government did previously estimate that uh, costs would be slashed uh, uh, 80% uh, regarding emissions. So, Positive.News is where I picked up this amazing a piece about animals and structures where they can freely roam and be in cities. And it's, it's really interesting for all those who are animal lovers or animal rights activists or urban planners, government officials, etc. I think you'll love this uh, information here. There's so much uh, that I, I went ahead and tried to cover, especially in the later portion of the program with the Mother Earth Minutes and other things. And so, uh, you know, we have to give animals love and support them. Just as, as humans, we 
we get up and go to work or we travel or we just want to go outside and play or we go to school or many other things we do. Animals deserve uh, the capacity to uh, integrate into our world and not be harmed or not worry about, you know, what's going to happen to them or where they live, uh, so many other things. And so uh, with the examples that I'm going to go over, there are different types of uh, building infrastructures that lead a more healthy life where animals can integrate with us and we can have uh, our, our lives you know, intertwined in harmony. And uh, more and more in other cities across the world, plenty of other places, even outside the UK, there are uh, bigger developments um, where it's more accommodating for an animal uh, to be uh, in its uh, you know, natural habitat and they feel safe in nature. And we as humans are, are more inclined to build um, structures and buildings and uh, different types of material that uh, is, is making uh, a, a second home uh, to uh, different types of animals. It spans the gamut. So the UK came up with a 10-point plan for um, their in green industrial revolution, and they've been meeting uh, those different points. But there is a, um, a part in that plan that has made uh, wildlife uh, friendly construction measures really helpful. And so we're going to briefly talk about those different uh, types of uh, infrastructure for the animals. So one of the first ones we're going to talk about is a bird-friendly bricks. Now, I haven't heard of this beforehand, but this is great for all those who are um, more bird-friendly or love to bird watch or, or, or maybe you're a bird keeper or maybe you are interested in learning how to provide a safe space for birds. Well, swifts, for example, are making their home in bricks um, in the different types of buildings around the UK. And these buildings, some of them have been around for thousands of years, if not, uh, if not other types of uh, period lengths. So uh, with modern construction, uh, swifts, the type of birds, for example, they are nestling in bricks. They are, are settling in um different types of buildings, one of them being the Manthorpe uh, building uh, products. They are in conjunction with a charity, uh, which I'll mention the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds or RSPB. It's a charity that works uh, with uh, the building itself. And so it, it put a bid in to help the birds. And during the summer, uh, they can uh, stay in the UK to raise their young. So this is great for the swifts where they don't have to go uh, outside their uh, usual route to take care of their young. They can sit there and, and be amongst the bricks uh, in these uh, formidable structures, these, these old-timey structures, and they can have a home there. They can nest there. They don't have to travel uh, far and wide to have a place to raise their young. The bricks are amazing because they have different uh, tunnel entrances and there are drainage holes that provide a really safe area for the swifts. And they're also uh, they're also great for making the swifts you know clean and quiet house guests so that they can be able to nest. Number two are wild 
flower verges. So in the Kingsbrook development in Owlsbury, uh, again, the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, or RSPB, is working with this particular development called Barat uh, Developments, and it itself uh, is saying that it's a new benchmark for wildlife-friendly housing, which is great. So they're putting animals first uh, and also uh, mainly wildflowers. So they're not um, making their uh, area look plain. They are featuring strips of different wildflowers uh, in the different grasslands um, and forming corridors for different animals and providing food for pollinators. Experts even have uh, created this huge uh, document document um, to um, have residents lay out the different types of plants that they would recommend uh, being grown and being most useful for to uh, wildlife. Some examples are echinacea and marjoram and uh, campanula. Camp- campanula. Um, I'm probably butchering that name, but there's just a few. Um, wildflowers that the our residents have suggested. So hopefully all those will bloom and really um, make beautiful the different corridors and places where they are um, building tons and tons of wildflowers um, around. Number three are hedgehog highways. This isn't your uh, cartoon Sonic, but Sonic, um, uh, you would think of, you know, when you're thinking of hedgehogs, you know, that's sometimes what I think of my first, you know, thought, you know, I'm 90s baby, you know, hedgehogs, Sonic. But here, it's, it's, there are no games because here, um, with this amazing installation, the house builders really wanted um, hedgehogs to find a, uh, a amazing um, place to, um, you know, build up their habitat. And so there was a petition that was organized by the British Hedgehog Preservation Society back in uh, 2019, not too long ago, uh, and they uh, installed small holes in the bases of fences, and it made it easier for hedgehogs to move freely between uh, properties. So the number of hedgehogs um, has topped the UK's uh, charts when it comes to their favorite animal, um, but it recently, in in recent years, had declined a little bit. But hedgehogs are really uh, up there as far as one of their favorite animals in the UK. Um, hedgehogs are pretty great. They do travel a lot at night for food, and so room to roam is really crucial for them. So this is great that at the base of fences, hedgehogs can get you know around and easily maneuver. Number four are the bees. So these are bricks for bees. This is a great idea um, from the Cornish uh, Bee Corp, green and blue. They set aside uh, standard bricks um, that are, you know, for construction uh, methods and uh, resources there. Some of those bricks are going to be individually um, placed in places like gardens and other green spaces, but within these bricks, they contain cast tubes, which are uh, nesting sites for solitary bees, um, such as the, uh, red mason bees or even leaf cutter bees. Other bees too, but it's a great idea. Again, bricks for bees. 
And then lastly, number five, are the amphibian friendly curbs. Now in the UK, I didn't know that they spelled curbs uh, differently, especially with a, a K in them. Um, but nonetheless, amphibians along the roadways, they naturally follow, at least in the UK, uh, the curb um, as they travel, which is great. You know, we as humans, we have something in common. We follow the curb, we follow the sidewalk. And with the amphibians, they, uh, when they reach a grid um, within the uh, curb, they tend to fall into the gully below or the, the tunnel below and they can die of starvation. So to remedy that, there is the making of wildlife curbs, which were developed in the UK by the company ACO Technologies, and it features a sort of bypass pocket that the amphibians, whether they're frogs or any other type of amphibian, can follow, uh, avoiding the gully. So ACO Technologies uh, also makes tunnels, um, barriers, and fencing systems too to help protect amphibians and other small creatures like small uh, mammals, for example, as well as they make products for birds and bats too. I love the idea that birds like the swifts, for example, and even bees can have bricks that are made just for them where they can uh, hustle and bustle and be safe and be free and they don't have to worry about human interaction so, so much um, and they can just live and you know make their hives or make their nests and be happy. And I love that sort of integration uh, with us, us humans. We need that integration with uh, animals. We don't need to other animals so much because I feel like that, that uh, cuts off or damages our relationship to uh, other species that, you know, are on the planet. We can't just ignore uh, the uh, thousands and, and, and millions of different types of animals and even unknown animals we don't even know about. Um, and so with integrating uh, different animal-friendly uh, structures, even plant-friendly structures like the wildfire, flowers I talked about in their different structures, um, it's important to recognize. And uh, it made me uh, question the types of animal-friendly structures that, you know, can exist in a city, for example. And so, you know, maybe think, um, you know, briefly about the animal structures you've seen around you or maybe have thought of. Maybe there are specific nature paths that uh, have uh, specific animals in 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 reference to and in 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 thinking about them, like maybe deer, for example, or it could be hedgehogs, for example, or uh, specific regions where bees are only allowed, and and maybe uh, less um, other types of creatures, or maybe places where um, animals are just they're keen on being there, and it's not safe uh, for humans to be, for example. Um, this isn't really specific to nature preserves or zoos, for example, but maybe parks. That's a, a larger idea. Um, I did go about uh, searching online for different places where um, animals can roam. And these aren't even exclusive to zoos, for example. But there are such um, places like um, panda houses, for example. You'll usually see these in zoos, for example, but um, you may be able to see these in other environments too. 
Um, there are such things as bridges for bats, for example. I saw and, and looked up a, a specific list of all these different animal um, structures and there are bird and, and bat friendly bridges. There is even a, um, it's a Yang Zhou guy. I'm probably mispronouncing it, but it's, it's out of South Korea and it's an eco bridge. It's animal crossing by the killed architects. And so they, they made a safe route for animals to cross over this highway, um, that cuts between uh, two mountain peaks. So and uh, humans can travel on the highway below and animals above. And that is specifically for animals. So, you know, so they don't have to, you know, try to cross via the highway. They can go safely on a bridge. There needs to be and should be, you know, especially here in the U.S., better infrastructure uh, like that, you know, being in harmony with animals. Uh, equestrian centers are another place um, that I think of that's nearby to me. Um, it's specifically for horses. Um, there are racetracks. There are cleaning stations, stalls. Um, there's a lot of space for the horses to be raised in. Um, and I like I like that, that the, the horses were thought of because um, I do live in a, a, a suburban area, but there are rural parts to where I live. And so putting the, um, the, uh, the, the thought towards making sure that horses that are around, they have a place to, um, congregate to, um, you know, not have to worry about being, uh, in business that involves humans like bedding, for example, because horses can be bed on and, 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 uh, rode and, or ridden or, and also, um, other things too. They don't really have to worry about that. They just get taken care of when they're when they're at the equestrian center. Um, other places like parks, playgrounds specific to, to pets. It doesn't even have to be dogs or cats. Maybe other pets, you know, should be you know thought of. Maybe there are just specific parks for birds um, and other wildlife too. I'm I have so many uh, ideas about. Uh, the types of uh, animals that could be uh, in open spaces and we as people can just, you know, admire and, you know, try to make that space as friendly and open and as beautiful as possible without a necessary human interaction, especially negative human interaction. Like I don't want to have a, a bird park or a park for, you know, hedgehogs or for any other type of uh, animal, especially here uh, in the U.S., and then uh, humans get to, um, you know, uh, intrude on the animal's space, and the next thing you know, it's dirty, or, you know, it's trashed, and, you know, other animals are there, and it's just, it's defeating the purpose of having the animals exclusively have a space for themselves, but is is friendly for humans to um, you know, build on and build up. Um, but the animals deserve, you know, a space, a, a safe space where they don't have to worry about anything. I really want for that to be the goal, um, especially a future um, design um, in our cities and our rural areas and other parts of the country too. 
Um, for um, more information for those who are interested, the UK website I mentioned, the charity, the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, is really a huge uh, resource for all those who are interested in birds, especially in the UK. And so the website for that is www.rspb.org.uk. So for all those interested, you can check out that website. And uh, for all those who love bees or want a little bit more information about some other related podcast episodes, I did do a related podcast episode, um, episode 180, and that was from August 13th, 2020, called Nature and the Bees, How Green Spaces Positively Boost Bee Numbers in Urban Areas. And in that podcast episode, I talked about the many different ways that you can support bees where you live, um, many different ways you can uh, give them more space where needed, you can avoid uh, neonicotinoids, you can eat organic food, and there are other tips I mentioned in the Mother Earth Minutes. So if you were interested in that, uh, be sure to check it out or share with someone who loves bees. The Mother Earth Minutes is where I review in the next few minutes proactive things that we can all do to combat the issue in the episode and to protect Mother Earth. Now, I know that there are going to be plenty of listeners who aren't in the UK and they're in the US and they still want tips and places that uh, they can, you know, still apply these tips uh, and these uh, structures and look for ways to uh, make animals safe. And they they love animals. There's someone probably listening who is an animal lover and strong in the animal rights community and they want to know more information. Well, I found a ton of info and for all those who are interested, there are cities that are dedicated to wildlife. Yes, in the U.S., uh, popular cities and uh, uh, other cities too that maybe aren't as popular or uh, maybe aren't as recognized are on this list. And so the National Wildlife Federation back in 2019, they create an amazing list uh, every single year, but I found the 2019 uh, list is most uh, up-to-date about the top cities, top 10 cities for wildlife and for policies and plans that put um, wildlife first. So they do many things. Even schools uh, are in uh, some of the lists as far as the uh, landscapes and different um, certified wildlife habitats that are some of the top uh, in the country. So we're going to look at all these different kinds. I'm going to start with the first one. The first top pick is Austin, Texas. Yes, Austin has more certified wildlife habitats than any other city in the nation. 2,616 to be exact, with 121 of those as schoolyard habitats. So for all those who are wondering about a place to move or a place to maybe go to school or visit, travel to, you're kind of aching for some uh, wildlife and some you know stretch of wilderness that you haven't really explored, you know, be sure to check out these cities. Uh, in a state of pandemic and unrest and so many other uh, 
extreme issues we have to deal with, maybe you want to have a breather and maybe you want to go to a different city and travel and maybe um, spend some time there. These are the sort of places to visit. Uh, with uh, Austin, Texas, uh, the city, they are a signatory or they've joined in the signing of uh, the mayor's uh, monarch pledge and they are a national leader in, in efforts to restore habitat and improve city landscapes for the declining monarch butterfly. Now, the city of Austin also has promoted uh, the different creation and conservation of wildlife habitats through the Wildlife Austin program. So that is a bit of info about Austin, Texas. And number two, uh, wildlife city is Atlanta, Georgia. Now, Atlanta, I found, is known as the city in a forest for its large number of trees and is committed to restoring uh, urban uh, tree canopy uh, numbers and spotlighting and supporting wildlife in different communities. Now, Atlanta currently has a little over a thousand certified wildlife habitats and 63 of those are schoolyard habitats. So the Atlanta metro area is home to six currently a certified community wildlife habitats, including Druid Hills, uh, Chambly, Roswell, Johns Creek, Alpharetta, and Milton. Sorry if I mispronounced any of those areas, but those are the included areas. Number three is Portland, Oregon. Portland, we already know, uh, is big on sustainability in a number of ways, but has many current plans that you may or may not have heard about. And one of them being their uh, sizable climate action plan. They also have a 2035 comprehensive plan that aims to increase things like backyard gardens and biodiversity and green infrastructure within the city of Portland. And also the Portland Area Watershed Monitoring and Assessment Program, or PAWMAP, does a bit to measure things like changes to habitats and water quality and biological communities. And it really wants to keep the city of Portland on track with meeting ambitious goals that it sets. And Portland has uh, 657 certified wildlife habitats, 51 of which are schoolyard habitats. And regarding uh, the salmon, uh, currently their salmon are found in 125 of Portland's 300 miles of streams and rivers and parks and that oversees 11,000 acres of, of parks and, and natural areas. The parks oversee a lot, um, including one of the largest urban wilderness areas in the country. So kudos to Portland. Number four is Indianapolis, Indiana, and they have uh, over uh, 1,100 certified wildlife habitats, including 71 schoolyard habitats. And their city is a signatory and is signed on also to the mayor's monarch pledge, which is cool. Um, that uh, they've committed to 10 actions to date uh, to protect monarch butterflies. So it seems like they're not the only uh, city to sign on to this wonderful pledge. And the city's comprehensive master plan also has um, a big goal of expanding parkland throughout the city and creating trails 
for the community members and to uh, make healthy habitats for urban wildlife. Number five is Chula Vista, California. So Chula Vista is a city I've never heard of, but they are making their way as far as sustainability plans are concerned. They have a city operation sustainability plan. They have their Chula Vista vision. They recently have the 2020 elemental uh, environmental element to their uh, Vista plan. Um, they have even the uh, city of uh, Chula Vista MSCP sub area plan, which addresses several different issues, mainly physical, environmental health, um, open spaces, and biological resources, mineral, mineral resources, and also air and water quality. Also, Chula Vista currently has 541 uh, certified wildlife habitats, 11 of which are schoolyard habitats. Number six is Cincinnati, Ohio. Cincinnati, Ohio um, is really grappling with uh, amazing plans to do great uh, as far as their nature center, for example. They even have their Cincinnati Zoo, which I think they're famous for, and also the, their botanical garden. Um, those both play uh, key roles in biodiversity conservation. They also do a bit about educating the community on ways to preserve a wildlife. So for all those who are interested in Cincinnati, these are some of the great reasons to go and visit or maybe like make a life there. Um, also, the Green Cincinnati Plan is uh, a great uh, goal for them to increase participation of the outdoors and doing things around recreation and, and nature awareness and trying to are trying to boost that by about 20%. And in Cincinnati, they also do a number of um, different kinds of um, activities, but one thing they're trying to increase is hosting a lot of wildlife, more than 115,000 acres of protected green space are open to all types of wildlife and uh, safeguarding uh, native habitats of the different wildlife that are there. Number seven is the Seattle, uh, Washington uh, city. So Seattle is of course an amazing bustling city and they have 974 certified wildlife habitats. So that's a big uh, number. And of those 33 are schoolyard habitats and they have sustainability plans in place of their Seattle climate action plan. You also have a 2035 comprehensive plan too that um, really centers on investing and in restoring green spaces and creeks and special urban environmental areas. And they have 30 different communities that have joined the um, um, National Wildlife Federation Community Wildlife Habitat Program across the Seattle metro area. Number eight, almost closing in on our top 10 list, is Charlotte, North Carolina. So the city of Charlotte currently has 1,141 certified wildlife habitats, and 45 of those are schoolyard habitats. And Charlotte is also a signatory of the Mayor's Monarch Pledge, uh, with uh, 11 action items they've set to uh, be able to protect monarch butterflies and they also have um, a certified um, and that that pledge also 
and includes in it um, a community wildlife habitat. So that means that the monarch butterflies are safe uh, when it comes to their habitat there. So this is great. More cities on the list are becoming um, signatories and are signing on to the Mayor's Monarch Pledge. So kudos to uh, those uh, amazing cities. So number nine, next to last, is Raleigh, North Carolina. So the city of Raleigh has 558 certified wildlife habitats, including 19 schoolyard habitats. And just like uh, Charlotte, Raleigh is involved in the North Carolina Wildlife Federation's Butterfly Highway Initiative. And also the city of Raleigh has 170 parks. And then last but not least is our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., so uh, Washington DC has sustainability uh, covered on multiple fronts, but some of the few ones recently are that they have Sustainable DC, which is a huge project initiative. They have um, their uh, 2015 District of Columbia Wildlife Action Plan that they've created. Um, they have their Climate Ready DC work. They have many things in place. They also do a number of things to protect and restore wetlands and waterways and aquatic ecosystems, as well as providing infrastructure for parkland and other natural spaces. And Washington DC has 278 certified wildlife habitats. Some honorable mentions on uh, the list or addition or in addition to the list are the following, uh, Los Angeles, California, Baltimore, Maryland, Denver, Colorado, Missoula, Montana, Brooklyn, New York, Houston, Texas, and also Detroit, Michigan, and Broward County, Florida. The Eco Fact of the Day the eight previously unknown colonies of emperor penguins in Antarctica are discovered after satellite images reveal traces of their poop. That fact was sourced from the Sierra Club Sierra Magazine in the November-December 2020 issue. The Eco Company Spotlight is where I talk about amazing environmental companies and products and services that really think about you and consider you as a consumer and also the planet. They put the planet first in a lot of what they do. And the, the number of products that I've talked about really spans uh, wide in length uh, and in measure. And I've talked about many different things, whether they be clothing, food, different environmental services, and apps even. And some of my favorite uh, products I've even been able to share with you, my love for them, and experienced uh, many different types of products and, and new ones, uh, old favorites, and I look forward to even getting some suggestions from you as an important, uh, persistent, and powerful listener of Greener Thoughts. I really appreciate 
everyone who tunes in and listens. And I always encourage engagement and sharing of information too. And so I try and make that accessible. And uh, you can do that via the Anchor app, for example, uh, or going to uh, the website anchor.fm forward slash Green of Thoughts podcast and checking out how to uh, send a, a voice message via that way. Uh, or you can always email me at uh, greenofthoughtspodcast at gmail.com. I really appreciate it. And I've been doing a lot of reviews since February 2019. It keeps on going. And one of the latest ones I have to let you know about is called Thread Up. It may be familiar to you or maybe not, but I'm going to let you know quite a bit about it. So here goes. So 73% of apparel is sent to landfill or is incinerated and 95% of uh, which uh, could be reused or recycled. Uh, so that's a scary statistic, you know, but Thread Up is slowly but surely changing this reality. ThreadUp was founded in 2009 by James Reinhardt, and it's the world's largest fashion resale platform that really inspires everyone to think about secondhand first. And the company has been going strong uh, over the past uh, past the, uh, the decade, over 10 years, and they're really strong in resale and building the marketplace and infrastructure uh, available uh, to power the $50 billion resale economy and make it more sustainable, making fashion all the more sustainable. Millions of customers have enjoyed ThreadUp and they have over 35,000 brands on their site and a lot of their different sales they have and different uh, prices, a lot of them are 90% off and such and you can uh, check them out online uh, and you can definitely try before you buy with their special goodie boxes so you have a lot of options. When it comes to the sustainability, there are several different uh, things I think are really important to cover. And so I'm going to mention some of the top five things I saw on their site and I've looked at when it comes to ThreadUp. Um, 100,000 unique items they process every single day. They have 1.4 million items that can be listed on their site at at, uh, any given time. And 5.5 million items can fit in their distribution center. So they're packing a ton, tons of material in their warehouses and in their different stores and such. Um, and all this all this material would otherwise go to landfill if it wasn't further up. Um, they have uh, 100 million garments they've processed so far. And they have uh, 1 billion uh, pounds of CO2 that has been displaced or uh, not uh, put into the environment because of ThreadUp and $3.3 billion uh, worth of uh, estimated retail value uh, is uh, of their clothing. So they've really prevented a lot of waste um, going to landfill and other benefits too. Now regarding ThreadUp, they are one of the first of their kind in creating a really great carbon calculator that's specific to fashion and so you can measure how your fashion choices stack up and how to best improve them. Also number four, they have an annual 
um, resale report that they publish and you can check out their site for more at www.threadup.com forward slash resale uh, forward slash again thread up but it's thread without an a uh, up.com and so also number five they did have a commissioned independent research firm green story inc that analyzed um this their environment their environmental impact of buying garments um used versus the making of new garments and that was from may 2019 they have that listed on their site um so you can check out the impact of that report uh, and they um, have a ton of different products on the website. As I mentioned, 35,000 uh, different uh, figures uh, as far as the brands, for example. They have a lot of brands on the website. So as far as women's wear, they have dresses and tops and sweaters. They've got coats, jackets, jeans, um, pants, skirts, shorts, swimwear, and also activewear. They have premium brands, they've got designer wear, they've got styles for kids, a whole section for kids wear, they've got sales, um, um, products for sales and on sale, they have maternity wear, they even have plus uh, categories, um, juniors, tall, petite, they have a lot of areas covered, they even have shoes and handbags, so they've got your accessories. Now, I recently, um, regarding ThreadUp, I did um, schedule this donation kit to be sent to me, and it's free. They just send you the donation kit, and it has all the information um, packed in it where you can donate your clothes. You can also be able to sell your clothes via ThreadUp, so that's pretty cool. So I'm going to be using that to donate my clothes soon, and I'll be able to update when it arrives. So when I'm able to ship it, I will send it off and do that. And I'm really excited about that because there are clothes I do want to swap out um, because I have talked about um, in a few podcast episodes ago that I wanted to green up my wardrobe specific to any fabrics that are mixed in content. And so if an if a article of clothing isn't, let's say organic cotton, for example, or is another sustainable material, or maybe natural rubber or something, then I'm, I'm willing to swap it out and find something better. And ThreadUp seems like the great place to go. Uh, I do love and admire that ThreadUp has one of the highest numbers of items on any site I've come across in one place. So almost, you know, 40,000 um, you know, different uh, brands and they have so many different items on that one site. Um, they have shoes, you know, they have, you know, accessories, different handbags, um, shirts, etc. So, so much in one place. Um, I do plan on buying sustainable clothing from ThreadUp and other stores too, but I'll definitely check ThreadUp um, and, and shoes I want to find there as well, um, you know, on ThreadUp. Uh, there were some improvements I think could be made on the site though, uh, namely for trying to find concise um, material sorting, like different categories. So whether that be the materials, for example, I want to be able to find organic cotton or tencel or pineapple leather or other fruit leather or vegan leather, other, other types of leather that are animal leather. And I want to be able to easily distinguish between the types of uh, materials that something is made out of. And 
on ThreadUp, it's not, it's, it's kind of cut and dry. You'll find acrylic or nylon and silk, rayon, etc., listed as um, the materials made um, in different garments, of, of different garments. And I wanted it to be uh, a little bit um, uh, better and more thorough than that. Um, I, I really asked my, myself if the site is even open to like inter, international sellers or those abroad because there are tons of different brands abroad that are not here in the U.S. And so I'd, I'd really be open to buying uh, from those um, different brands online so maybe they could scale up. Um, you know, in the next few decades or so, and, and maybe have the international market on board uh, on their website, ThreadUp. Um, and then they have the clothing life cycle study. Uh, if that is done, you know, annually, that would be great. Maybe biannually, if that's, you know, even better. Um, there are probably benefits and risks maybe to having that study as often, but that leads to better accountability, traceability, um, and, a, and a lot of um, amazing transparency within ThreadUp. So maybe they could encourage that study being done a little bit more often. Um, I also found that there is no menswear on the website. So that kind of leads the men out. So, you know, I, I searched and I was like, I was kind of puzzled. I was like, hold on, there's no uh, menswear on this. So that kind of leads, you know, all the men out there who are wanting to, you know, clean up their wardrobes to green up their gear. They don't have that option on ThreadUp. So I was like, oh, that, they must be so sad. I'm like, maybe ThreadUp in the future could change that. But that was also another one of the improvements I think can be made on the ThreadUp site. Uh, also, there are a few other things. Um, I wish ThreadUp had more certifications, especially for the length of time it's been around. If you've been around more than a decade, I think that you should have tons of certifications under your belt and be one of the leaders in the industry. Um, for example, Patagonia isn't, uh, they've been doing a, a lot in the environmental space and social space for a long time, for decades. They're like a hallmark, they're like the, the, the golden um, goose when it comes to sustainability in their chain and their labor practices so much. And, you know, they have tons of certifications to back that up. Um, so it would be great for ThreadUp to be maybe a 1% for the planet member or be a B Corp, a certified B Corp, or even be carbon neutral certified. These are certifications that matter. And I didn't really find those on the website. Um, also, um, if ThreadUp had more clear um, categories for things like designer brands, that'd be great. So um, there are designer brands that are more sustainable too, so I wish that ThreadUp kind of highlighted those or had a special section for those type of things. Or maybe categories just like for vegans or sustainable brands or, you know, hiking clothes, for example. You can't really find those, um, I guess, niches uh, on the site. So um, for those improvements that I think could be made and what I think of ThreadUp as of now, I'm going to give it 4.5. Uh, green thumbs up out of five so I think that they have a really uh, great sizable things going for them but there are tons of things to improve upon um, you can find out more about ThreadUp on their website www.threadup.com that's t-h-r-e-d-u-p.com and also ThreadUp can be found on the following social media platforms of Facebook at ThreadUp 
That's T-H-R-E-D-U-P. U-P is capitalized. Same thing on Instagram at ThreadUp. LinkedIn also at ThreadUp. Pinterest at ThreadUp. Twitter, same thing at ThreadUp. And YouTube at ThreadUp. I recently subscribed to the YouTube channel and I really want to see more of what ThreadUp has to uh, offer. As far as how to contact ThreadUp, you can do so in a number of different ways. You can check out their website, www.threadup.com forward slash contact to email them or message them or even write them uh, at their address. Or you can use their chat bubble on their site for uh, instant assistance. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this podcast episode. Uh, I did learn a little bit more about some of the structures that are around in different parts in the UK where animals can thrive and just be happy, whether they're swifts or birds or even if they're plant matter like wildflowers. So I had fun uh, talking about the different cities even uh, where the National Wildlife Federation has an annual list that they do uh, publish and talk about the amazing wildlife uh, based um, cities that are here in the U.S. Um, and they they really do um, amazing things uh, regarding animals and preserving wild spaces, uh, green spaces, parks, and so much more. I really hope that that list is uh, really impactful for somebody. Maybe you're looking to change up your scenery. Maybe you're tired of what the pandemic has has done for you and maybe where you live. Maybe things are just too expensive. I have no idea uh, how the list will uh, matriculate into your life or how it will be shared. But I really uh, wanted it to be a great resource. So, you know, if you're interested, you can definitely... I share the podcast episode and talk more about, you know, how uh, those places are, you know, really beneficial for you or maybe give you ideas as to maybe where you want to visit next time you want to go on vacation or for work or for another type of reason. So I really had a great time uh, finding that list. I'm glad that I did talk about it at length. Um, and then also, you know, thread up. I'm, I'm glad that I, I talked about the service uh, and the different products that they have on the website. I can't wait to buy the products that I need to in the future. And I'm glad that I found a lot of different recommendations that they could use to maybe improve their site in the future. Um, but they're really the goats at, you know, what they do. But of course, there's always room for improvement, no matter if you're the goat or, you know, not the goat. So uh, be sure to check out my uh, giveaway. It is still running currently um, as an, as until I announce it in a, a, le- a later date of when it isn't. And I'll, of course, put it in the title of the podcast episode when it stops running. But I don't have uh, too many entries. So I'm just wondering, you know, if, you know, it's a great time to do that giveaway, even though it is retroactive or if a giveaway is retroactive, it still, you know, is uh, current and happening. It's not to alarm anyone of, of saying that you can't enter the giveaway. Of course, I'll always provide updates no matter what, but uh, I try and do the giveaways and make them as fun as possible. I even recently uh, bought some uh, uh, prizes for this bonus giveaway I'm planning. So I really hope that I get some entries uh, into that and, 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 and I'm able to award prizes for first, second, and third prize winners. I'm really excited about that because uh, I really love the prizes, but I'm 
really hoping that uh, you know, Green Thoughts listeners, all those who are listening, are uh, open to participating and really having fun there too. So um, until next time, be sure to take care of yourselves as always and take care of the planet. Thank you so much for listening and be well. Bye.